Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know my family and I did. We, we stayed here in the area, and we just rested at the house. It was really nice. So as you probably have figured out by now, our scripture reading today is from the Psalms, chapter 90. Lord, throughout all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to the end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are a passing day, as brief as a few hours in the night. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by the evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so we may grow in wisdom. O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord, our God, show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. This is the word of the Lord. So the Psalms... They represent the longest book in the entire Bible. It's 150 chapters. And in that, the longest chapter in the Bible was also in Psalms, Psalm 119, that takes you about a day and a half to read through. Um, But the Psalms were originally ancient Hebrew songs written from people to God. And as I've thought about this, I've thought a lot about music in general. For much of my life, I've been a musician. I I play the piano and the guitar, and and so I really love music. And so people often ask me, Nathan, what is your favorite type of music? This is a really hard question for me, though, because I really love all kinds of music. I grew up on the classics as a pianist, and I don't mean like uh, Led Zeppelin, I mean uh, the classics meaning like Mozart and Beethoven and, and Chopin. But I also love jazz and folk. Um, I have really fond memories of riding in the car with my dad as a child listening to ACDC. And so I've got, got some fondness there. But I also grew up in rural West Virginia. And if you know anything about Appalachia, you know that we love bluegrass. So give me that banjo and a little bit of fiddle and I'll be rocking out all day long. Now, It may be easier for me to answer the question, what is your least favorite kind of music, right? So I generally don't like a lot of the the more contemporary pop stuff. Much to the the sadness of my wife, I'm not a a Taylor Swift. I would prefer to shake it off, Uh, you know. 
I don't care for that. But I do appreciate good music. Music is a theme throughout all of history, and psychologists have done a great deal of research on, on the question, why is music so important to humans today? And there are many reasons for this. Music It boosts a person's mood by releasing endorphins. It enhances our attention and our focus. It calms our minds. It boosts our motivation. And it tends to be able to express feelings that words alone fail to express. There are two other things that music does that I think are really important. Music has an ability to help us remember. Have you ever been sitting down and you listen to a song on the radio and immediately you're transported back years into, into your childhood and, and some fond memories come up. Music brings us and gives us this ability to recall things. There's a lot of research on how music can actually, if you have someone that is suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's, uh, music where they forget faces and names, music is remembered by, by folks that are struggling with these things. At the school, we use music to help us remember Bible verses. I know that even to this day, the way that I remember the fruits of the Spirit is by singing a song that I learned at Vacation Bible School whenever I was eight years old. Love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, and self-control. Faithfulness and gentleness, your fruit is going to grow. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we use songs to help us remember Bible verses and different things. And then music does something else. Music cultivates connection with other people. Have you ever encountered someone that you really have nothing in common with? You, you have different backgrounds, different, different ways that you were raised, but a song comes on and all of a sudden you both are singing that song and it's like you've known each other your whole life. You, you just become bonded with that person. And so it's no surprise that music is a significant theme in Scripture as well. In Colossians, Christians are instructed to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in their hearts to God. James gives us a a challenging teaching. He says, if anyone is suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. So it's no surprise that that the longest book in the Bible is is one long book of songs. As you study the psalms, you will find that they capture the fullness of human emotion. There are psalms that celebrate and are full of thanksgiving. There are psalms that are sad and filled with sorrow. There are psalms that express anger and frustration. There are psalms that tell of quiet contentment. Around the time of the Reformation, there was a movement to recapture the psalms and set them to music. And so throughout the time of the Reformation, about 500 years ago, they went through and they studied all of the Psalms. And and in English, this work was done and it was finished in 1549 where they took all of the Psalms and they removed the words around a little bit to put them to a meter. And then they had 65 different tunes that you could sing all of the Psalms through. And they regularly in worship would sing the Psalms. And I think we've lost that a little bit in our contemporary time. I would wager to say that today was the first time you've heard a psalm sung in worship in perhaps your whole life. But, but it's a really, it adds a layer and a dynamic to the Word of God 
that reading alone misses. Many of our great hymns of the church are rooted in the Psalms, and, and so today I thought that it would be good to dig into one of the Psalms. And so our psalm appointed for today is Psalm chapter 90, which is a rather challenging psalm. It's very unique amongst the collection of songs because of who the author is. Most of the psalms, as you may be aware, are written anonymously. We have no idea who wrote them. Uh, Of of all of the psalms, the one that we know uh, the author to the most of would be David. King David wrote several psalms, and his son Solomon wrote 18 of them. Lesser-known biblical characters like Asaph, Ethan, and the sons of Korah each wrote a few. But Psalm 90 was written by Moses. According to scholars, this makes Psalm 90 perhaps the most ancient of all of the psalms. You may, this is interesting too. The Bible records that Moses wrote three songs in his lifetime that are recorded in the Bible. The first is in Exodus chapter 15. Right after the Israelites are saved from Egypt and they cross the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is washed away, Moses and his sister Miriam write a song together, a song of praise and thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for saving them, for delivering them. And so that's in in Exodus 15. The second song of Moses that we find is in Deuteronomy 32. And it is a song that was written to instruct the Israelites and to remind them of what God has done for them. But Psalm 90 has a completely different tone from these two. It is a somber song that reflects upon the shortness of human life, and it contrasts the brevity of our life with the eternalness of God. And so the Psalm 90, it starts with this. It says, Lord, throughout all the generations, you have been our home before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world. From beginning to end, you are God. This Psalm written by Moses It was written in the midst of the wilderness wanderings of the Israelites. They had witnessed God's power as he delivered them from Egypt. But now they were far from the promised land, and they were not in a place of comfort. They were in the wilderness, a place of suffering and hardship. And here in this moment, Moses points to a significant truth. Even when our situation and environment is less than ideal, When we feel vulnerable and forsaken, it is at that moment that we can refocus our attention on God, who from the very foundations of the earth has been our home. You know, Thanksgiving is a time where we think a lot about what home is. For home, that's where you're from. Or for others, home is where your family is. Or it might simply be the place where you sleep at night. But I think home is more than that. It's more than a physical location. There's an ancient Roman historian named Pliny the Elder who lived 2,000 years ago who who came up with something that's rather a common saying today. He said, home is where the heart is. That's right. And I think he's right. Home is a place where you feel safe. Home is a place where you belong. It's a place where your soul can find rest. Moses was far from home. After all, Moses was raised in an Egyptian palace. He got married and built a family in Midian. And now he was leading the Israelites from campsite to campsite in the wilderness. 
and he knew that he would never reach the promised land. Moses had no physical home. But it was at that moment that he said, Lord, I don't need a physical home. I don't need this place because, Lord, you, you are my home. You are my refuge. You are my safe place. Even when we are alone, even whenever we find ourselves in the wilderness, even whenever we are in the place of difficulty, God can be our home too. That spiritual home that is consistent, that is trustworthy, that is found in the difficult places. As we keep reading, the next point in Psalm 90 is is how short life is. You return man to the dust and say, return, O man. But a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. The years given to us are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Moses highlights the contrast between the shortness of human life and the permanence of God's existence. Ultimately, none of us know how long we have to live. Right now, the average American lives to be 76 years old. 76. None of us knows how long we have. You know, and I've never met anyone in their 70s or 80s who says, you know, my life really went by slowly. Every person in an older season of life that I talk to says, my life went by fast, so cherish each moment. And then they say, the older you get, the faster it goes, right? You know, life is filled with seasons that constantly change. Whenever Lauren and I welcomed Ezra into our lives, our firstborn son, three and a half years ago, I had a friend that gave me some really wise advice. He said, remember that everything in life is a season. The good times that you have, cherish them. But be aware that those sweet moments go really quick, and then the bad times come. But also remember that just as the good times fade into bad times, the bad times will always fade into good times as well. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. The bad times, they pass, but not as quickly as we would like. And you know, we never know when the seasons of our life are drawing to a close because they are always there before we are ready. In the, if the shortness of this life is all that we have to look forward to, it really should fill us with despair. There are modern philosophers that argue that if this life It's all that there is, and so we should endeavor to do whatever makes us happy. This philosophy dismisses religion and moral values and instead embraces the idea that because life is short, we should enjoy it above all at all costs. This mindset, though, is woefully short-sighted because, friends, whether we like it or not, there is something after death. There is something that comes after this. Either it will be paradise with Jesus— or it will be torment apart from God's presence. If we believe in Jesus Christ, Scripture assures us that we are given everlasting life. Our despair is transformed into hope, and this is reflected in the great Anglican prayer book, uh, Prayer of Commendation. If you've ever been to an Anglican funeral, it goes through this, this liturgy, and it's really quite beautiful, but the very last thing that happens is the priest walks up to the casket or the urn, and he, he lays his hand on the, on the casket and, and prays this prayer. You alone are immortal, the creator and maker of mankind, and we are mortal, formed of the earth, 
that to earth we shall return. For so you did decree, saying, You are dust, and to dust you shall return. All of us go down to the dust, yet even at the grave we make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. And I think this prayer is kind of stunning in some ways because it's at this moment that we should be the saddest. We're saying goodbye, yet the prayer doesn't end with sadness. It ends with a song of hope. Alleluia, meaning praise God. We praise God even at the grave because we believe that death is not the end of the story. There is something to come, that, this, that dying is only a step into the eternal life that God has planned for us, where we are united with God, where we are united with the saints that have departed in the past, where we, we enter the land where there is no more tears, no sorrow, no sickness. The hope of life to come is why even at the grave our song It's a song of praise. Alleluia. Whenever we come to faith in Jesus, we are given a new lens that expands our vision of what is possible from this short life into the possibilities of eternity. Our decisions here and now have eternal consequences. So it's no surprise that Moses prays to God that he would help us live in light of eternity with a heart filled with wisdom. Moses prays that God would help us make the most of the time we have left. And so he says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom and grace. So what does number our days mean? It doesn't literally mean to count how many days you've been alive, but I did that. Today is my 11,956th day of being alive. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Moses is saying that whenever you think about each day, each day is an opportunity to contribute to eternity in some way. And so we're called to use each day to the glory of God. When we number our days, we make a decision to make eternal investments in what matters most. A scripture that has been resonating with me throughout this year comes from Matthew 6, where Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where the moth and rust destroy, where the thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also Where are your treasures? I shared this scripture with the teachers at Cross Schools in August because I was helping them understand that every day, whenever we talk to these kids, we are making a decision to do more than educate them in terms of math and science and writing. We make a decision to touch the eternal and form their souls in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. But you don't need to be a pastor or a teacher to make eternal investments. An eternal investment is not a really nice house that you give to your children as an inheritance when you die. It's not a legacy of millions of dollars. It's not something like a plaque or an award that bears your name that someone someday will stuff in a storage unit. We make eternal investments by doing three things. By by loving God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and all of our strength, 
by loving our neighbor, and by leading others to faith in Jesus Christ. These three things are incredibly interconnected. I I remember uh, whenever I was serving as a pastor in West Virginia, there was a a fellow who, uh, (laughs) he's a great guy. Uh, He was very opinionated, and he always shared his opinions with me. But one time he had something really, really insightful to share. And he said, listen, pastor, whenever you preach a funeral, there's something you need to realize and help people understand I've been to a lot of funerals in my life, and never in my life have I seen them go to uh, load the casket in the hearse to take them to the graveyard and then hook a wagon to it with all of the things that people possessed. He said, you can't take anything from this life to the grave except for the people that you lead to faith in Jesus Christ. And I thought, That's some, that, is, that is very insightful. Friends, the only thing that we can have hope of bringing to us with heaven are those that we lead to faith in Christ. One day, I hope to be standing in heaven and look out and say, oh, I had something to do with their growth. I had had something to do with them as well. I recognize that person as well. Who are the people that you're taking to heaven with you? Are they children? Grandchildren? Just random people along the street? How would our lives look different if we filtered everything through a question? And this is the question. How does this moment, this action, this work impact the other person's soul? How does it contribute to the kingdom of God? If we filtered everything we do through this lens, how would your life be different? How would you be treating the people that you see on a daily basis? Who would you seek to be reconciled with? Who would you forgive? Who would you pray for? How would you make investments? We make eternal investments by loving God and loving our neighbor. And when we do this, Psalm 90 says, God satisfies us in the morning with steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. This satisfaction that comes from God transcends the moment in front of us. When God satisfies us, he ministers to us when we are sad. He accompanies us when we are lonely. He strengthens us when we are weak. He comforts us when we are hurting. Love, the steadfast love of God that this psalm assures us of receiving, love is not something God does. Love is who God is. And so the steadfast love of God that comes to us is is God himself coming to us in these moments of difficulty, in these moments where we feel alone, where these moments where we're struggling, and he nourishes us and strengthens us. This, This steadfast love of God is a love that never stops, it never gives up, and is always and forever. And that love gives us a reason to rejoice and be glad. It reminds me of John chapter 6 where Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. My question is this. Will you be satisfied with the steadfast love of the Lord so that we may have truly abundant life? If so... We will seek to make these eternal investments each and every day. 
And Moses goes on to say that as we do this, God will establish the work of our hands so that we're laboring not just for something that will, will crumble, that will rust, that will, the moth will eat, but something that will last into eternity. So may we labor in ways that make eternal investments. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite you to pray with me. Almighty God, I pray that you would teach us all to number our days that we may faithfully live for you. Lord, teach us how we can make these investments in the souls of others that we might bring them to heaven with us by leading them to faith in you. So Lord, teach us and strengthen us and and always give us that steadfast love that never fails. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.